But we're in Colossians chapter 1, and uh, for our message, we're focusing primarily on just one verse, on verse 23 of Colossians 1, but I'm going to be reading from verse 15 uh, through verse 23 of Colossians. So Colossians 1, 15 through verse 23 will be our reading, and if you're able, I would invite you to stand as we give honor to the word of God. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now let us pray. Father, we are so given to going after things that promise us pleasure, promise us joy, promise us meaning for our lives. And the world around us is very willing, it's almost like it's set up to offer many versions of those things to us. But once we buy in, Lord, often we are disappointed, for they never can fulfill on their promises to us, the things of this world. But Lord, many of us have heard your word, and in your word we have found eternal life. We have found who we really are, and we have found hope there. So Lord, we pray that this morning you would use this time as we meditate on your word to continue to reveal to us the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has offered us in the gospel. And may our hope in him and in his words increase, strengthen. Help us, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So most of you are aware 
that uh, we have recently worked through the letter to the Colossians in our worship services. Uh, some of you may be wondering if you're going to hear a fresh sermon this morning or not. I mean, maybe, you know, uh, you've already heard this one. I mean, since it is a holiday week, maybe I just decided to recycle one from earlier last year. Um, and, uh, you know, if you think that this morning, if you're wondering that, that's fine, because if I was you, I'd probably be wondering the same thing, uh, looking at this passage, thinking, you know, haven't we already been here? Didn't we already go through this a year ago? And, and uh, the answer, of course, is yes. I did preach this passage last year. In fact, last February, I, I preached through Colossians 1, 21 through 23. But in that week of preparation, as I was studying these verses, again, 21 through 23, I remember wishing that I had been able to focus more of my attention on verse 23. In fact, I know that I thought to myself that verse 23 really should be the focus of a sermon all on its own. I mean, I was struck by what we hear in that verse, particularly so because of the culture we all live in, the culture that consistently communicates that we don't really need to worry about our place with God, that God really doesn't expect much from us, that there's really no responsibility required on our part. Many believe that as long as we were baptized as a child or were led to pray a prayer of asking Jesus into our hearts sometime when we were in Sunday school or if we signed a commitment card that we have you know, nothing to worry about with God. That it doesn't really matter how we live, what we think, or what we do. Now, our salvation, clearly as God's Word teaches, is by grace alone. Grace alone through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. That's, that's why I read all those verses leading up to verse 23 in our reading to provide us with the context which focuses our attention not on us, but on the Lord Jesus Christ. He made peace, it says, through the shedding of his blood on the cross, giving his life for us. Through his sacrificial death on the cross, it says, he has now reconciled those who once were alienated from God and hostile in mind towards him. He has accomplished all of this. The work is, is finished. Our salvation is, is all of grace. And it's through our faith in Christ alone that we are justified before a holy God. And, and yet, quite often we see verses such as verse 23 here reminding us that once we have faith, we must persevere in that faith to the end. As the Apostle Paul puts it here to the Colossians, we are to continue in the faith. On judgment day, we will not be welcomed into the kingdom because of what we prayed when we were nine years old. We will only be welcomed into the kingdom if we were living by faith in Christ Jesus when we died or at the time of the Lord's coming. As the word of Christ tells us in Matthew 10, 22, the one whose faith endures to the end will be saved. And God is so gracious 
He is so gracious, friends, for he has provided us with the help we need to continue in the faith. Here, even in this passage, we are shown exactly what we need in order to continue in the faith. You've heard the image uh, that the Bible has given us uh, for our relationship with the Lord, that, that he is the good shepherd, and we are his sheep. As our shepherd leads us down the path to salvation, we are his sheep, we as his sheep must stay on that path that he is leading us on. We must, we must not run away from our shepherd. If we do, we will not make it to the green pasture of the eternal kingdom that he has prepared for us. But just like a good shepherd does, our, our shepherd has provided everything we will need to stay on the path. He will always lead us into green pastures in order for us to feed on his word, in order to strengthen us for the journey and to keep our energy up. He will always provide us with clean water to refresh us, which of course in scripture refers to the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when, when, when we stumble and get hurt, he will care for us. He will heal our wounds. As long as we, as we continue to make use of all of these provisions our shepherd has given to us to keep us on the path, we will most definitely continue in the faith. But we mustn't turn away from these gifts that our shepherd provides us. We mustn't dismiss these gifts that our shepherd gives us to keep us strong. We must not act as if we, the sheep, maybe know better than he does on how to get to the place of eternal joy and happiness. That is, that is what we are being warned against here in Colossians 1, verse 23. And as an under-shepherd of the good shepherd, as your pastor, that is what I want to warn you against this morning as well. I want to encourage you to make use of the gracious helps our God and faithful shepherd has provided for us in order that our faith in the gospel would remain stable and steadfast all the way to the end. So here, at the start of a new year, the year of our Lord, 2019, I thought it'd be good for us to pause and meditate on just this one verse and consider what it would mean for us to faithfully continue in the faith. So our main theme from this one verse is we will continue in the faith by continuing to hear the hope of the gospel in God's word. So three different uh, headings here for this one verse. The first, the warning we ought to take seriously. The warning we ought to take seriously. Here's the verse again. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Warnings are a, a big part of our everyday lives. Warnings are all around us. If you are a parent, there was a time in your life when you gave multiple warnings to your children every single day. Here are just a few that I know that I've used recently with my children. Like, no, 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 Betty, don't touch, hot, 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 hot. Don't touch that stove, it's hot, 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 hot. Or packer, make sure you tie your shoes. Don't be running around with your shoelaces untied. Or boys, be, be careful, it's icy out there. Don't run on the ice. Now, 
Why do I, as a parent, give these warnings to my children? Well, it definitely is not just to annoy them, you know. Uh, I'm trying to protect them. Most warnings that, 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 that parents give are given out of love for their children in order to protect them from harm. If parents never gave any warnings, something would clearly be wrong. They would not be good parents. Warnings help to protect children from harm. So it really should not be surprising for us to see warnings like this in God's word. God is a loving father. And just like all loving fathers, he uses various warnings to keep us from hurting ourselves. And just like a child who is old enough to know better, if we ignore the warnings of our loving Heavenly Father, we will end up in some serious danger. We will end up hurting ourselves. The warning given in verse 23 is for those in the faith to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The word Continue is a key word there. The original word expresses active persistence, perseverance. Active persistence or perseverance rather than a mere passive continuance. In other words, what this warning is getting at is that for those who have faith in Christ, in order for us to continue in that faith, it will take action on our part. We must actively persevere in the biblical faith. Again, going back to the metaphor of sheep following the shepherd, we have been brought into the flock of the good shepherd by grace through our faith in him. Now we must continue to follow him. We must actively pursue this shepherd. We must listen for his voice. We must obey his commands. We must trust that he really does know the way and that he he really will provide for what is best for us. We take an active role in continuing to follow him, which will end up getting us to the place that he is leading us. And that's back in verse 22. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith. We are then given a description of what biblical faith is like. It is stable and steadfast. True faith is is like the man who built his house upon the sure foundation of the rock in the parable that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 7. If the foundation of your faith is the the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, then it will remain stable and steadfast even when great storms and times of crisis come your way. That's what genuine faith is. It, it is, it is. It is not like someone who hears the gospel and is fascinated with it for a while, that is until the next new thing comes along that will grasp their attention. Maybe you know people that always seem to be taken in by the latest new thing. You'll be at a diet plan or a new way to treat your aches and pains or even some natural health treatment. They get so very excited about it when they initially hear about it and let everyone else know about it. And then after a few months, well, they're on to the next new, new thing that they've, that they've found. That is the opposite of biblical faith, which is stable and steadfast in the gospel. In James chapter 1, we are encouraged to pray for wisdom. And in verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, 
who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. That is a great encouragement for us to pray. And prayer is an act of faith. Your faith leads you to pray. Because if you didn't believe that God hears your prayers, or that he could do anything to help you, well then why would you pray? So in order for God to respond to your prayers, obviously you must have faith. You, you, you must believe that he's there, he's listening, and he is able to help. And so listen how James describes biblical faith in the next verse. And this would be verse 6 of James chapter 1. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Biblical faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ is not unstable. It is not like a wave of the sea that's just tossed around by every new wind that blows on it. It's not impressed with every new teaching or new opinion that someone shares about life or about the Bible or about the way to have the good life. Biblical faith is stable and steadfast, built upon the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the only mediator between God and man. That, 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 that Christ alone has accomplished all that's necessary for our salvation. We must continue in that faith in the Lord Jesus. We must continue to look to Christ and have full confidence in him alone, not resting any confidence in anything else, especially ourselves. So true, genuine faith will always continue. True faith always perseveres. Peter O'Brien, who is an Australian New Testament scholar, wrote this very helpful sentence, which shines some light upon our passage. He says, continuance is the test of reality. Continuance is the test of reality. If your faith is genuine, then it will continue. If your faith continues, then it is genuine. If it doesn't continue, then it was never real to begin with. Genuine believers will persevere in the faith to the end, so then believers, let us persevere. Let us continue. Let us actively participate in the strengthening of our faith. Let's do this. Secondly, the way we continue in the faith is our next uh, section heading here, the way that we continue in the faith. So how do we continue in the faith? How do we do this? How do we go about this? Well, how do we actively participate in the perseverance of our faith in Christ? I think that we are shown the way in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So in the early years of the church of Colossae, as well as most other churches that that Paul was involved with, there were always the threat of false teaching. False teachers would stroll into these cities and share their understanding of a different gospel. The Apostle Paul uh, directly confronts this threat in his letter to the Galatians, and there are definite hints of that threat of a false teaching happening in Colossae here in this letter 
as well. And in verse 23, then Paul warns that they must not shift away from the hope of the gospel which they had heard from Epaphras, who was a fellow worker of Paul's who had originally brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to Colossae. So therefore, the first help we are given in seeking to continue in the faith of the gospel is to make sure to reject any false gospels. Reject any false gospels. We need to reject false teaching. We need to beware not to run after another message that promises us life and meaning and satisfaction, but in fact leads us away from the only Savior, Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? What's the best way to protect ourselves from following after false gospels and false saviors? Well, many of you know that I am a, a type 1 diabetic and have been since I was 16 years old. Uh, the past week I saw a story about a family in Sioux City who have two children in their home uh, who are type 1 diabetics, and they received a diabetic alert dog. Diabetic alert dog, which, which is trained to alert them if one of the children is having a low blood sugar, which can be dangerous. You know, that can happen sometimes during the middle of the night. And so it's good to have a diabetic alert dog who can start barking and alert the parents to what's going on with their kids. Now, I was quite interested in this because several years ago, when we lived in Iowa, we had a dog. I know that surprises some of you, but we had a dog. Um, the dog, of course, was not a trained diabetic alert dog. He was just, just a dog. And we had a, a, a bedroom on the main floor, uh, which was, was our master bedroom, on the north side of our house. And for some reason, our dog would like to sleep right below the north-facing window of our bedroom. He wasn't inside of our bedroom. She stayed outside like all dogs belong. But he was, out, he was out, out, outside the north-facing bedroom window, right outside of our master bedroom. And there was a few times where I had a low blood sugar during the middle of the night, and my wife, Greta, was alerted to them because our dog would start barking and wake her up. Now, I'm not sure if the dog really could detect that I was having this low blood sugar on, on these nights or if she was just barking at some coyotes, uh, but it did happen once or twice. And so, so, so dogs can actually be trained to alert people when a diabetic's having a low blood sugar because there's a certain change in the smell. There's a smell that emanates from someone whose, whose blood sugar is low or if it's too high. And the dogs are trained by, by noticing the change in the smell to then bark and alert the parents or the spouses to their loved one's condition. They know the smell of their owner so well that they can tell right away when something has changed, when something is different. And that's what sets them, sets them off, to start barking. Well, Christians need to have a similar kind of response towards hearing false teaching. We, we should be able to sense fairly quickly when, when something is, is off, something's different. Something doesn't sound right. Christians should be able to, to sniff out false teaching. And the only way that we'll get that way is if we can tell that something is just a bit off from what it ought to be. Therefore, we, we need to make ourselves very familiar with the truth of the gospel so that we will be able to sniff out a false gospel. How can we know if a message or teaching we are hearing is, is true of the gospel or if it is misleading? Well, there are, there are many ways. 
But one clear way that Paul gives us in Colossians chapter 1 that we read earlier is whether or not the teaching exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful gospel preaching and teaching will exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. It will magnify him. It will point to Christ as the way of salvation. It will proclaim his accomplishments. It will reveal and explain his saving work. Faithful gospel teaching will draw you to want to know Christ better and love Christ more and want to glorify him with your praise, with your worship, with your obedience. As Paul writes later in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, true gospel teaching will be focused on Christ. False teaching will emphasize things that you do. You'll emphasize your own works, your own labors to build the kingdom rather than on what Christ has done. False teaching will, will lead you away from Christ and put your attention on to other things. The way for us to, to build up our sense of smell for the gospel of Jesus Christ then is to continue to hear the gospel as it is revealed in God's word. The way that we continue in the faith is to feed our faith with the word of God. Paul warns the Colossian Christians to not shift from the hope of the gospel that you heard. They heard the gospel of, of Jesus Christ and they believed. They came to faith by hearing the word of Christ. And so that is how faith comes. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Hearing the word of Christ, the gospel is how faith comes to us. So if that is how faith comes, that is also how faith is built up. Faith is strengthened the more we, we remind ourselves of the gospel, the more we put our hope in its promises. And on the other hand, if we are not reminding ourselves of Christ's gospel promises, we may be in danger of losing hope, especially when trouble strikes us. One of my favorite hymns of all time is focused on this need that we have to continue to read and hear and remind ourselves of the promises of the gospel in God's word. It is the hymn, How Firm a Foundation. Basically, the hymn writer just quotes the Bible in order to build up the faith of believers that may be facing a crisis or who are in the midst of a time of trial. So, in other words, it is, it is modeling a discipline that all believers would be wise to put into practice. That is preaching the gospel to ourselves, reminding ourselves of God's promises in his word so that we will be able to stand upon them, stable and steadfast when hard things come upon us. The hymn encourages us to know God's word. And we'll never know God's word if we don't read God's word. And we'll never read God's word unless we make a commitment and a discipline to do it. Discipline ourselves to read it regularly. So here are a few of the verses from the hymn. The first one, how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say? 
Then to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. And then the next verses quote are, are quotes from the scripture, reminding us of the promises of the gospel to believers or to those who have fled to Jesus for the refuge of their salvation. Fear not, for I am with thee. O be not dismayed, for I am thy God, and I will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. God's word to us. And then the last verse. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. The way we continue in the faith is a lot like how we first came to faith. By hearing the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, which we find in the scriptures. And all the scriptures reflect that gospel message. All the, all the scriptures point to that gospel hope in Jesus Christ. So may we make sure that we are regularly reminding ourselves that God is sovereign that man is sinful, but Christ is sufficient to save us. And that repentance and faith in Christ unites us to him, and one day we will be with him for all eternity in glory. And lastly, let's look at the hope of the gospel. So the gospel is described in verse 23 as the one which the Colossians heard, and which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So the phrase here, proclaimed in all creation under heaven, has also been translated, proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Maybe that's what your translation says. Obviously, scholars debate what is really meant there by that phrase, because it's such a grand claim that Paul seems to be making. But in Paul's point, um, I think Paul's point is, is not, the specifics of how many people have heard the message of the gospel, nor how far-reaching the gospel had gotten to by that point in the first century, he is most likely just using hyperbole here to make the point that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only good news by which all people can be saved, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is universal. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for the Colossians or for the Greeks. It's for all people, all creatures under heaven, and that is the Lord's plan for this message to be preached in all creation. That is the message that Paul's been preaching. Wherever he's gone, he's gone throughout many, many cities, many places, many areas in the world, and he has preached that same gospel. So think of it. Here we are in northeast Nebraska on the edge of the great plains of North America, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the same one that Paul preached, is being preached here today. On the other side of the world, from Jerusalem, where the Holy Spirit first fell upon the church, empowering the church for the work of spreading the gospel to all nations. We have been watching um, the Dispatches from the Front video series in our adult transformation class before worship services the past uh, couple months, and we have witnessed how the gospel, this saving message about, about Jesus Christ is going to all nations and all tribes and, and setting people free and transforming lives all around the world. It is just remarkable. It's a remarkable 
reality that this verse is pointing to here. And I wonder, has your life been transformed by this gospel? Have you set your hope for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternal life fully upon what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished for you in his life, in his death and resurrection? If you have, then then the way to, to continue in the faith is to continue to remind yourself of the gospel as this message is, is revealed in God's word. You continue in it by reading God's word regularly, by hearing God's word preached faithfully, by getting yourself into a group or meeting with at least one other Christian regularly to read and talk about God's word together, which will further stimulate your faith to grow. I hope you're, you're, you're doing these things already. If you aren't, then I would strongly encourage you for the, for the good of your soul to begin this year to do this. As one pastor put it in his comments on this verse, there is therefore nothing more important for you in life than persisting in your dependence on Christ, firmly established in your faith in him. So what, what priority are you giving to continuing in your faith in Christ? There's nothing more important. So how are you strengthening your faith in Christ? How are you deciding to do that? There are many challenges to our faith that we will face in our lives. Definitely one of the greatest challenges is if towards the end of our lives, we end up having to live within a nursing home. That can be pretty discouraging, having to leave your home with everything there you enjoy and are comfortable with, and then being moved into a small room that you must now share with a stranger, and having all of your stuff confined to a corner of that small room. As a pastor, I've been with many believers who have made that transition, and let me tell you, it's never an easy one. But more than once... When I've stopped by to visit a church member who is now living in that kind of situation in a a nursing home, I've walked into their room only to find them sitting in their chairs with their Bibles open. Sitting in their chairs with their Bibles open, doing the very thing this passage is encouraging us to do. Reminding ourselves again of God's promises to his people found in his word, and thereby continuing in the faith, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. So friends, I I don't know what 2019 will bring for you. I do know this, though. Trials to our faith are on the horizon for all of us. It's just a matter of time. The best way that you can prepare yourselves for those trials is to get into God's word, strengthen your faith by reminding yourself of the gospel regularly, if not daily, and doing that not by yourself, but with other other believers who are helping you to grow as well. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for this reminder, a reminder that we need 
for our lives are so filled with, with many things that can distract us from what is primary, that is our relationship with you. So Father, help each one of us. Lord, we're all in different places in our lives. We all have different needs and, and uh, concerns, things demanding our time. So Father, wherever we are in life, I pray that you, by your spirit, would encourage us, would strengthen us, would help us to make sure we are in your word, hearing the truth of your gospel regularly and seeking to grow in that faith with others. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.